Or evil little face. What? You? I did my potassium. When? I was like a ninja. You could have killed us. Nah, I knew what I was doing. How? So you ever talk about. Some of it goes in. But why would you do that? When? How? Why? Parties are boring. You tried to ruin it for Eliza, didn't you? Have you seen the chat? Calling you Professor Boom Boom. The talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 255 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catch-Up podcast that didn't think covering four hours of Corrie in one week was that big of a deal eight days ago. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm here from the Quesadilla board, ready to fine one Sally Metcalf for crimes against Mexican pronunciation of things. You mean Quesadilla? <laughs> Do you want me to divorce you? <laughs> It reminded me of of that. Don't bring up Smiling Jack's <laughs> Mexican restaurant in Stirling because it was a fine, fine restaurant. That used puffed pastry on their burritos. Hey, if you've got puffed pastry, you might as well use it. <laughs> and it was good. I had many a wonderful Mexican meal in that restaurant. Hmm. And so did you. No. Nothing that came out of that restaurant was Mexican. Anyway, how are you? How were you this week? Uh, long week. Uh, it feels like it has been a long week. It felt like this morning when I got up that there was a faint chance that this could be Thursday, and I was like, <laughs> "No, no fucking way! We can't, we can't do this again." I was thinking that too because you know when you asked me about how many bananas we had left, I was like, "Well, we have one more day until it's." Grocery day, because I was thinking that it was Thursday and not Friday. I'm very careful about the volume of bananas in the house <laughs> at any given time. It, it it's mean, very it mean important. Never, it may never exceed six. <laughs> How are you? I think I need to go eat a banana. Well, careful, because you they've got to last the whole week. Yeah, I'm right. The, um, the man cave auction finished. Oh, oh hold on. And, Auction talk. <laughs> yeah, the man cave auction ended on Wednesday, and it started to end. Well, started to end. Well, we were in trivia. Yeah, because you know the first lot goes first. It, it doesn't all end all at once. It goes sequentially, and if somebody puts places a bid. During that time, then another minute is added on to that time. So it it never it it's it's always a question on how long this is going to take. Like there have been times that we've done um, simulcast auctions where I actually have to go in and work the auction, and I can't be sitting in in Craftco playing trivia during the auction. And you're always like, "Well, how long is this going to take?" And I'm always like. I have no idea because I really don't because it could because sometimes things 
take a long time to sell because there's two people trying to outbid one another for a long time. And then some things it's just like two seconds because nobody wants to bid. I guess I just wouldn't describe that as being starting to end. I would, I think I would describe that as ongoing. Well, no, because this is when, this is when it times down because it's ongoing for like the four weeks that it's running. And then at seven o'clock on the Wednesday, that's when the first lot starts counting down and then I fear this is far too boring to continue with. Ah, uh, well, yeah, it was it was quite a success. Good. Our our highest selling item was a square piece of carpeting from the Michigan State Capitol in a frame. Went for over a thousand dollars. It had the Michigan State seal on it. It was from before the renovations to the Capitol building in the seventies. Wow. Yeah. So that was exciting. I bought stuff. I bought more stuff than I probably should have, but that's excellent. That's that's true all the time. But one of the things is something that you highly approve of, and that's my new belt buckle, which you were admiring it earlier. It is today. a fancy belt buckle. It is a fancy belt buckle. And no mistake. It was woven by a Chippewa woman in Glacier National Park in Montana, near where my uncle used to have a hotel. So it already has sentimental value for me. There you go. And yeah. not only that, it helps to keep your pants up. So. That's right. And I've been losing a lot of weight lately, so I do need help keeping my pants up. I'm constantly walking into this office and my pants just fall down as soon as I get in here. Well, I do have that effect on people. <laughs> you have that effect on me. Shall we preamble, Medea? <laughs> yes, please. Give us some of that. Hmm. Pants falling down? Pants falling down, Corey News? <laughs> I guess. Or pantsless. Mm. Or just pants. Sure. <laughs> Dolly Rose Campbell, a fucking delight, <laughs> is currently working on her BSL Level 2 certificate. You don't get this in the BBC News. No. Not just for her character, Gemma Winter, but for herself to converse with the wee boy who plays Alid, her deaf son, and his parents, all who are deaf in real life. And bravo, Coronation Street. I am always very, very happy when they hire deaf people to play deaf people. Mm-hmm. It is it is the right thing to do. And I applaud it. And I applaud, I applaud uh, Dolly Rose, who is a fucking delight anyway. Right. I think she is just, just fantastic. I've never... I've never seen an interview with her where she seems awkward or terrible or evil <laughs> you, in you my haven't life. seen the evil interview collection <laughs> no not yet yeah i thought this was just a a hugely heartwarming story and and i guess when you think about it in her situation where she is acting alongside a, a deaf wee boy mm-hmm. whose parents are are deaf it would be really weird not to be able to have a conversation right. with them when exactly. you're not filming. So mm-hmm. she takes it upon herself to to learn. It helps the character mm-hmm. as well, but it's really from a more human perspective Absolutely. that she's doing it. And I thought that was that was just such a, a lovely a lovely story and a lovely tale about somebody who, as you quite rightly describe, is a fucking delight. Yes. Apologies to to Ian. And and his wife, if they're listening, because apparently, apparently my my swearing puts Ian's wife off our podcast. But that's all right. Is that what he said? Well, he called me scatological, 
Which is still hilarious to me because you swear more than I do. I don't think that's swearing. I think that's just talking about shits and peas. I don't really talk about shits and peas very much, do I? I think I think we're all listening out for it now. <laughs> a fucking delight deserves a fucking delightful wedding dress. We'll all be saying, Shantae, you stay, as Gemma walks down the aisle in a dress wedding dress designed by UK drag race contestant Licorice Black. There will be no sashaying away as she works it down the catwalk. I mean, aisle. Now, I would have preferred not to have seen this ahead of time. No. I Yeah, I get that. Because, especially for for Gemma, I mean, for for most weddings in the show, I, I probably don't really care, but I was mm-hmm. I was keen to see which direction she was going to go in, and she's gone in a very Gemma direction. Yes, it's a very Gemma dress, but also a tasteful dress. It doesn't look like garbage, and I was really worried that she was going to be wearing something garbage. But are we supposedly led to believe that Izzy knocked us up in a week, and also that Izzy produced this from? The dress that Gemma handed to her. Which, if memory serves, was not orange. No, no. Well, it's not the dye job that bothers me. It's like the layers and oh, it, layers it, it and layers of tulle and the fairy lights and and all of that. I think I think it's I think it's very different to see stills, photo mm-hmm. stills of it. I agree. And then to see it in real life. Well, not real life, but you know, on a moving picture. On the moving pictures. We go to the moving pictures on a Saturday. No. I don't, I don't think anybody, especially not Ian Les Paul's wife, was expecting that. I don't know why. I don't know why I called it the moving picture. I've no idea. Go back into the 1920s. Somehow. I've got nothing. Back to the what? The 1920s. Yeah, I, I did have to ask. <laughs> and finally. Jack P. Shepard and Julie Golding paid tribute on Insta to Corey Icons Jack and Vera Duckworth, played by the late Bill Tarney and Liz Dawn. It was so cute. They're like standing, mm-hmm. waiting for a lift. The doors open and then they close and it's Jack and Vera smooching. Kissing you. Well done on lift, by the way. Yes. Well, I did, I did research this using <laughs> a British article. So, see, that helps. See... When I speak in somebody else's language, I use proper pronunciation and words for things. Until you don't. Say say what one calls two tortillas (laughs) with cheese melted inside between the two of them. Now I predicted that you weren't going to make a big deal of this. In a broiler or over over an open flame on stone. It wasn't just that, though. I think they also said jalapeno. I, that, I must that, have... that annoyed me, actually, more than the, the quesadilla, because I think that was done for effect. She said it twice. Yeah, for effect, I think. And I think I blacked out before I heard the... Jalapeno. Yeah. I did notice, though... It's a ha. It's a jalapeno. Jalapeno. Yes, jalapeno. There's a little tilde above the N. I did notice, though... She knows how to pronounce tequila. She does. Although, should that be pronounced tequila? No, because it's only one L. Is it? Yeah. Okay. 
In I'll, that case, I will shut the fuck up. And that's Corey News. That is Corey News. <laughs> and, and now I need to speak again. So how how fleeting that victory was for you. Hmm. Now let's see what Ian Les Paul's wife has to say about things <laughs> in our feedback section. Everybody's a critic. I think he just hasn't forgiven me for hating Paul McCartney yet. <laughs> well, that's a different story. <laughs> so you may have come to expect that Ian Les Paul has written in this week to say, I would never describe you two as painfully PC. I don't know, I think we can be. See when not, I, not in a bad way. When I read that the first time, when because he wrote the letter U and the number two. I thought he was talking I about thought, Bono as well. I thought he was talking about Bono. Mm-hmm. Right? I was like, when when did Gav less, last talk about how much he hates Bono? Last week. Was it? Probably. <laughs> Every time I get my... This is Ian again. Every time I get my wife listening t- to the podcast, shameless trickery involved, Helen usually destroys the moment with scatological repartee. Don't be too hard on Carla for using the term bobags. The producers have only just managed to cure her of calling Peter Lavihid. Which I absolutely love. <laughs> Rehabilitation is a long, hard road. Thanks for that, Ian. If you want to give us feedback on the show or the podcast, you can get in touch with us. We're at Corey Podcast on Twitter and Facebook, and you can email us the talk of the street at gmail.com. And now we will Wait, podcast for coffee. Do you think she's talking about me talking about sex all the time and characters fucking? No, I think it's poop. I don't talk about poop. So you say. <laughs> The Talk of the Street is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. Helen, YouTubes, acknowledge. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And you can also sign up now to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month, that's 50 cents an episode. What can you buy for 50 cents? Nothing. You can get a, a mention. Gumball. You can get a mention in the closing credits of every episode. And I kind of, this podcast was brought to you by Typeway. Did anybody buy us coffee this week? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> it all kind of falls apart there. <laughs> and now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Mighty Eight Function Spray Nozzle. Does this have something to do with Sam? I feel like Sam might be involved here. That's right. This was filled with two L's and Tyrone posing each other down. Oh my God, yes. In my favorite scene ever in Coronation Street of all time. I know you didn't get it. In a manner that did not, in the slightest whiff, hint of homoeroticism, except it very much did. It, it, was, it was very erotic for me, I will say. Yeah, I found it quite erotic. I was Gavin and you were busy filling out forms for a return visa to Scotland. I I had no idea why. (laughs) We'd booked our holly bobs to the Four Corner States that week. That was very exciting. 
And this leaves us now with Nevada and Oregon still to hit, which we'd hoped would be this year, but money. Right. And also Hawaii and Alaska. When were you in Oregon? When I, when I was a child and my family is from Montana. Yes. Which is on the other side of Idaho from Oregon and Washington. Right. So in order to save money, and you'd have to ask my parents exactly how this saved money, we would fly to Seattle and get a car and drive from Seattle through Oregon and Idaho to get to Montana. And I don't know exactly oh, how that what, works. Yeah, it's probably cheaper to fly to Seattle. Yeah. Probably. Oh, yeah. It's much cheaper to fly to Seattle than to, say, Helena mm-hmm. or... Helena Hancock. Or, um, or, or Bozeman. I'm trying to think of where the few airports in Montana right. are. But, um, but it's like the driving. So... I was recovering from the COVID, which was proving to be a difficult road to follow. Absolutely. We learned that you say superfluous, oddly. Tim makes yet another appointment with Dr. Gaddas, but this time, no really, he's going to go to it, and really he's going to make sure that he drags Sally along with him this time. It's very familiar to the Paul and Billy thing, isn't it? <sighs> Refusing to tell your partner that you're deathly ill. And, and there's another thing that's going on this week that's very similar to that also. It's like... They're all happening at the same time, right. and it's kind of showing it up for yeah. the frequency that it seems to be enjoying. Yeah, A mysterious whistleblower to the council forces Amy and Jacob to abandon their scummy flat and move in with Stephen Tracy. That was a year ago. Mm. Summer continues to push herself too hard ahead of her exams and once again fails to properly manage her diabetes for fear of gaining weight. Daisy makes it clear to Daniel that she misses him, but points out that nothing can happen between them while another woman's bra is drying on his radiator. Nice. Hope throws a sickie and discovers Phil's secret, taking her revenge with a digger. <laughs> that was a year ago. Craig has an impossible time as he attempts to predict Faye's mood and he succeeds in constantly saying the wrong thing to her. Mm. That was noteworthy, apparently. Sean has a bad date with a man and his hamster farm and almost fails to see his Mr. Right when he walks right under his nose. Abby's plans are gaining pace while Imran and Toya receive an unexpected offer from social services regarding Elsie. Remember Elsie? I do. What a wee smiler. Jacob knows a thing or two about kids TV. Tyrone prefers the gentle setting. And Shona sings Abba. Don't mo- we all? Our moment of the week was naked concrete wrestling slash hosing with filled with two L's and Tyrone. It's a- always my moment of the week. And our boring moment of the week was Summer and Amy discussing the book Bird Song. <laughs> And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street. This time last year. Yes. Now we have an awful lot to get through because we missed Fridays from last week. Yes. And I was going to just cover last Fridays quite quickly. Hmm. But then something happened that I wanted to write a joke about. So I've ended up writing the whole notes for that episode. It's fine. So we will start off this week with OMG CID FFS. See if you can spot the joke. Hmm. I have no idea what it was. Last Friday then, Craig tries to explain to Faye that he doesn't mind her hanging out with Miley and Jackson, but she feels under interrogation sometimes. Putting that aside, she arranges to meet him later at the bistro for a celebratory meal. At the bistro, Gary doesn't know why they're making the fuss, and I I just love it when people are, like as he was last week, 
and Gary was also last week. Mm. Just, why are you doing this? Yeah. Jackson comes in to help, revealing that Tim and Sally invited him along. She tells him that he's not needed, so he goes away, but Gary notices the <clears throat> obvious chemistry <clears throat> yes. between them. He checks that she's alright, reminding her that this party is a big show of her relationship with Craig, and she needs to make sure that this is what she wants. Cough, Jackson, cough. Faith says that she's only getting on with Jackson for Miley's sake, but she admits to the smooch in the hotel and claims it was all one way. She says that she's... How was how yeah. is a consenting kiss one way, mm-hmm. Faye? She says that she's happy with what's his name? Chris, I think. No, that's not right. Kurt. Gary, Gary suggests. Oh, no, not no, Kurt. No, no, no. Keith. And not Chad. Gary suggests that he speaks to Jackson to keep him away, and Faye lets him. So Gary sees Jackson in the rovers and tells him to back off. He says he knows about him trying to kiss Faye at the hotel, but Jackson says it wasn't one way. It wasn't a one way thing at all but agrees to back off, and Gary tells him to tell Faye that. So later, the Beast was filling up nicely. Toya and Spider... But I like that. Okay, I'll give you that. Toya and Spider (laughs) even show up for some reason. And then Faye gets a... Because Spider's a cop! There it is. It was staring me right in the face. It really was. Then Faye gets a text from Gary to meet her at the furniture thing. We haven't been at the furniture thing in ages. I know, I missed that place. I want to put all of it in an auction. So she rushes off telling Beth to stall Craig until she gets back. In the furniture thing, Gary keeps Faye there until Jackson shows up. This has been a setup. Gary leaves, allowing Jackson to make his final pitch. He wants to back off, but he can't. And that Chris fella isn't the one for you, says. I think, was that my joke? Maybe that was a joke. Meanwhile, Craig has turned up at the bistro anyway, and after several moments, he finally twigs that this is a party. A few more moments and he realises it's a party for him. <laughs> Maybe that was a joke. But where's Faye? He quizzes Beth who tells him that she's at the furniture thing. But he's thinking there's something going on between Faye and Jackson. So he so he gets there. He realises there's this big party for him. He realises that his fiance planned this and put all of this thing, all of this together uh-huh. with lots of hard work. Yep. Instead of being appreciative... He's immediately suspicious and lies to people about going to the loo in order to sneak out and spy on her. It is a little odd that she's not there. Yeah, but still, she did all of this and he's not appreciative because he's a creep. He's super creepy last week and this week. Yeah. Has to be said. Very creepy. We'll talk about his hands a little bit later. Ooh. Ah, yikes. Ooh. (laughs) Tim tells Craig that he has trust issues. Despite this, Craig head, Craig heads out of his own party. Right. While Fa- telling everyone he's just going to the loo. And nobody pays attention to which way he goes. Faye and Jackson are still arguing when they hear Craig approach, and so Jackson does a breakfast club and hides under a desk. Flustered, Faye tells Craig that she's here to pick up a present for him that There's she can't the joke. find. Was that it? It's the breakfast club. Might have been. He offers to help, but she tells him that that's a fucking stupid idea and sends him back to the bistro where she promises to join him in a minute. Before he goes, he makes sure to tell her that he loves her and how she's great and how relieved he is that she's not banging Jackson behind his back. Back at the party, Toya's talking about cow farts when Craig gets back and tells Beth about the mystery present which explains everything, except it doesn't. Not for Beth, at least. At the furniture thing, Faye suggests... 
<clears throat> At the furniture thing, Faye struggles to find a mystery present. She can't give him a wardrobe, so Jackson gives her his watch and they find a box for it. Convenient. Yeah. Jackson again makes a pitch for the amazing life that they could all have together in, in Slough. Slough. And Faye is beginning to see it, but it would hurt too many people. And so she heads back to the bistro, where Beth's conscience makes her come clean about what she saw at the rape hotel last month. Which was nothing. No. Craig Which t- was two people who share a child sitting at a table together. She yeah, didn't see the kiss. She, even seen, she didn't see the kiss. That's she right. didn't. Craig tells her that he already knew about that and there was nothing to it. Beth's eyebrow rises and now Craig isn't so sure. Furthermore, he's pissed that Beth never told him. So Beth has to explain that she was there with Marco. Craig calls Beth a scumbag Hello. and a whore and tells her that she's no mother to him. Not anymore. She, he really does more or less call her a whore. To her face. To her face. To her face. He talks about his mum being on her back. Right. Which is just an awful thing. Can you imagine saying something like that to your mother? To my mother? Yes. No. So yes, Craig has now called his mother a whore and says he never wants to see her again. Because apparently the worst thing she's ever done is is not tell him that his girlfriend was sitting having dinner in a hotel with her child's father. Mm. And nobody had to get on anybody's back. No, no. They were both sitting in chairs even. When Faye finally gets back to the bistro, Craig is now pushed on one half glass of whiskey. Which he calls terrible, which is just... Of course he's not going to like whiskey. What's wrong with him? Is he 12? Faye hands over the watch, which Craig calls something to remember her by, and he accuses Faye of messing around with Jackson behind his back. After all, he's blown this month-old case wide open with the help from his mum. He wants to know if she was with Jackson tonight, which she was, but not like that, and he storms out. Faye tracks him down to Maxine's bench, where he's drunk and crying. Faye says Off one glass of whiskey. That she's sorry and admits that Jackson wants her to move away with him and Miley to Slough. Craig says that after everything he's done to protect her, Faye isn't sure what he means. So he has to remind her of dead Ted. Oh, it does she not know what he means. And how he has half a mind to go to the cop shop now and grass her up. So Faye decides to stay in Weatherfield after all, and Craig is so over the moon with relief and thanks her and hugs her and put his big hand on the back of her head. His understanding of the law so vague and fleeting that he doesn't realise that he's just blackmailed her into doing this. Right, yes. And so creepy the way he does it, too. Mm-hmm. So creepy. Who knew little Colson Smith could be creepy? He's, so creepy. He's shown signs of this in the past. I quite enjoyed how they had this little blue filter on that shot of him uh-huh. on the bench just to make him look even creepier. Kind of drawn a little bit. Like he was in a horror film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were moments with with um, with Bethany yeah. that were that were a little a little creepy. Yeah, and, and then, stalkery. And then that time he was racist. Right. Well, there is that. On Monday, it's Monday morning, and Craig's got a hangover from that one sip of whiskey that he had. He's making Faye's favorite breakfast, a la Craigie, which makes Faye want to vomit. Yes. He insists and she asks if he's really forced her to eat when she's not hungry. Right. Again, he <laughs> is so creepy in this scene where he's like, I've gone through all this trouble. You have to sit and eat this food that, that I made for you that, that you, you didn't ask, ask for. for. <laughs> right. 
It's like, I am not hungry. I am not eating your food. What did you put in this food? Are you drugging me in order to make me sleepy, in order to keep me here and as your prisoner? This is how horror movies start. Yeah, this has got Stephen King written all over it. Ay, ay, ay. He realises that he's upset her and that she's still upset about yesterday. She says, yeah, you threatening to go to the police kind of put a dampener on my mood. He mansplains that he only reacted like that because of things that she'd done and he'd never grass her in. He tells her that he loves her again and she makes herself smile without crying. And I think he puts his hand on the back of her head like, yeah. And in his roles, Tim comes in on the phone to Tim's mum about decorating her new flat. And this gets Craig thinking about buying their own flat rather than rent from Tyrone. Faye points out that they don't have the money for a deposit, but Tim pipes up that he and Sal can help out. With what? On a roll, Craig decides that they should set a date for the wedding now too. And suddenly Faye is feeling a little bit sick again. She says there's no rush, but he wants to make concrete plans. Tim sees Faye's indecision. Detective Tinker doesn't. He also wants a hamster. Which, no, that's not creepy, an adult man who wants a hamster. <laughs> no. Richard Gere. Which never harmed. Later, Craig, Craig runs into Beth, is still in the mood with her. He tells her that Faye has explained everything and the two of them are getting a flat. Beth is shocked and isn't sure Faye is telling them the truth. Craig calls her a hypocrite and wanders off. Meanwhile, Faye is at Tim's and he's excited about the new flat. Faye is not excited. She says she's missing Miley and Tim says that he can understand that because he'd miss Faye if she moved away. He reminds her that Craig is a good fella, an outstanding police officer, Mm. and he gave her space and didn't get jealous. Yikes. Faye doesn't say anything, but looks like she might puke a little bit more. Where's Tim been? When she leaves, she runs into Miley and Jackson, who ask her along to the play area for the last time before they go, but Faye sadly dingies them and wanders off. She goes home and looks at photos of the three of them together when Gary calls round. She's still not happy with him after setting her up yesterday. Gary was under the impression that Jackson was going to leave her alone, but Faye gets upset, saying that Jackson still wants her to move to Slough, and she said no, but she admits she doesn't really want to stay with Craig. Gary tells her to go with her daughter, but Faye tells him that Craig has her over a barrel and she could end up back inside. She really is terrified about this. Yeah, yeah, she is genuinely... And that doesn't that tell you everything that you need to know about one Craig Tinker? <laughs> if a seriously believes that he might do this, mm-hmm. that he might he might put himself in jeopardy and in prison just to spite her, that he'd do it in a in a fit of rage, right? That he doesn't really want to tell him. I kind of believe that he doesn't think that he really would. But if he's in that much of a torrent of anger then there's no telling what he's going to do right and that's craig tinker bloody hell yeah so she has to explain about dead ted and emma but this isn't good enough this isn't enough to get gary to fess up he tells her that she doesn't owe craig anything so he goes off to have a word right and he he makes a he makes a comment about emma as well how she fucked off to australia australia And I was just waiting for Faye to say, yeah, well, she wanted us to tell the truth from the very beginning. (laughs) So I'm happy she's gone. Right. Because she was the only honest one of the bunch of us. Yeah, because that's how that worked out. Craig and Beth meet up again. He's been in town buying suits for his stint on the CID that's apparently still going to happen and tells Beth that everything's under control. But as Beth leaves, Gary arrives and tells him to get his fucking arse up into that flat. He doesn't just say everything is under control. 
He says she knows what side her bread Ooh. is buttered on. Mm-hmm. And that was chilling. <laughs> that just, you know, just when you think Craig couldn't get any creepier. He says that mm-hmm. so, so fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. Like she won't leave me. I have insurance because she doesn't want me to put her back in prison. Right. So now Craig knows that Gary knows and Gary knows that he's been threatening Faye with this information. Gary seems to revel in accusing Craig of being a bent copper and Craig just doesn't know where to look. See for really being doesn't. a copper. See when he's found out there. He's like a little boy. He is. He's terrified. It's it's ginger versus ginger. <laughs> and who's going to win? There's only one way to find out. The ginger. <laughs> so now, uh, hearing the commotion, Beth comes up and demands to know what's going on. Faye makes sure that Gary keeps his mouth shut. Beth can sense that Gary wants to chib Craig and reminds Gary that her Craigie is an officer of the law. Are you sure about that? Asks Gary. Oh, and I love that. Craig's face is a fucking picture. Mm. Beth remains in the dark and accuses Faye of banging Jackson. Craig says they got over it. Gary asks how. Faye grabs Gary and they both leave. And this leaves Beth and Craig alone in the flat and he admits that Faye doesn't want them anymore. Beth tells him that the only reason that they should stick together is love. Right. He doesn't admit that he's a bent copper, though. No. Maybe he should. And then maybe he should apologize to his mother for calling her a whore. (laughs) In the pub, Gary tells Faye that she can't be held captive for the rest of her life. Good point, Gary. Faye thinks that she's got carried away with all this because of Miley. And she's sure that she... Well, she's not sure that she feels anything for Jackson anyway. Tim comes along with a reprise of Craig's A Good Lad song. But this time, no one is humming along. On Wednesday, Tinker is watching TV and tells Faye that she looks nice without looking at her and acts all arty when her feelings are hurt. Right, and also she does not look nice. That top was terrible. What is that? I don't know. It's all... It looked like a straight jacket. Boofy. Right, it it looked like a straight jacket undone. She explains that Miley has come around to take some pictures before they leave. So a big family picture is taken outside number four before Jackson and Miley leave. Miley likes Sally's house, which pleases Sally. Yes, it does. Miley bids an emotional farewell to Faye, and then she and Jackson get ready to catch the tram to Slough. Faye tells Craig that she's okay, and he looks at her like she's farted. (laughs) Back at the flat, Faye's planning a fish tea when Craig launches into a whispery, slowly delivered monologue, where basically he tells her to go and be with Jackson and Miley, and suddenly there's a Faye-shaped hole in their front door. Just, if you love someone, set them free. Right. If they return. If they say, well, we should have the fish because it's about ready to go off. (laughs) Yeah, the fish was the relationship. Right. In metaphor. (laughs) So Jackson and Myler called back and are thrilled to discover that Faye is going with them after all. Just like that. Fuck Just job. like that. Fuck a job at the factory. Fuck it all. Fuck you, barely, creepy Canadian Stephen. Barely a cheerio to Gary. And now Tim's decided to give them a taxi ride to Slough. Probably a grand on the meter. So off they all go. Is, they're is, going on the train. I know they're not getting the taxi to Slough. Right, because because he did offer beforehand. Tim did say to beforehand drive the to, the, to drive them. No, to drive them to Slough. And, and Jackson said, no, we're taking the train. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, so 
Bye, Faye. So Faye's kind of got her bags all packed, ready to go, and mm-hmm. just leaves in like five minutes with a five with a five minute notice. But as they drive off, Faye has one last cruel slap in the face for Craig. They spot him wandering aimlessly around the street. Faye tells Tim to stop the taxi, and she jumps out and shouts on Craig, surely making him think that she's changed her mind. But it's just to tell him that she loves him, and she'll send some nudes when she gets to Slough. <laughs> on Friday, Tim is down in the dumps without cheery Faye. She was such a life and soul, it's only natural that everyone feels down without her presence. Hmm. Sally tries to find a bright side. She's not dead. Right. Craig, who doesn't work at the and, factory... And also, Sally reminds Tim that both of her daughters don't just live right up the road. They live in other countries, yes. and it's fine. Craig, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory with some work files that Faye left at the flat. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> what on earth are those orders for? <laughs> and he dumps them off with Sally. Sally sees how upset Craig is, what with renowned comedian and entertainer Faye off to give the people of Slough the gift of her presence. <laughs> she suggests Craig goes to see Tim and threatens him with some Mexican food. Craig says that his head suits a sombrero. Yeah, Wait. so not only... <laughs> So not only is Sally unable to pronounce words, she's also racist. Oh, come on now. We've all enjoyed wearing a sombrero. Yeah, not on Mexican night, though. Could they have it on fish tea night? (laughs) Yes. That just doesn't go. Later, Craig turns up at number four, wearing black now that Faye has left his world so dark. Tim can't be bothered to get dressed. Sally leaves them to figure out something to do to cheer themselves up, reminding them that Faye's not dead. Not yet, anyway. So Tim and Craig decide to turn their garden shed into a garden bar, which Sally doesn't think is the worst idea that Tim's ever had. Craig thinks it should be called Sal's Saloon, and Sally doesn't like this idea at all, and leaves them to it. She's all upset. She's like, what are you doing to my darling precious shed? And the darling precious shed has chipped paint on the side of it and looks worn and dowdy mm. and not even anything that Sally would have in her yard ever. And also, it is hilarious, Tim in his bathrobe, because it just reminds me of that time that Tim and Gary were sitting on the couch in their bathrobes. Oh, yeah. Being all gloomy together. Mm-hmm. I remember that. So when Tim is sad, he puts on a bathrobe and calls a ginger over. <laughs> Yeah, so that's it. It seems to work for Tim. That's as far as we get with that this week. So that's Faye out. That's Faye gone. Finally. Yay! They kind of dragged it out a, a little, but it still felt a bit rushed, obviously, towards the end there, where right. Faye just up sticks and leaves right. at, at a minute's notice. And there's, there's, never, there's never a moment, because let's remember, Jackson was rather creepy a couple of weeks ago as well. You know, going behind Faye's back and telling Craig, no, she's going with me. As as if Faye has no say in her future, which she kind of accuses Tim and Gary of tonight or this week. But it's yeah, just... Yeah, she's like, what century we're living in? But right. there's definitely some frying pan fire vibes going on here. Right. You know, so we never really get a redemption of Jackson where he apologizes and he's actually sweet and romantic. They're never romantic. But Faye says very deliberately, and I, and I believe this, she doesn't love Jackson. I don't think that she loves Jackson at all. She loves Miley. Why, why is Faye having to go to Slough 
to be with Jackson. She's going to slough to be with to Miley. Be with Miley yeah. Which is completely understandable. Yeah. I give it a week before before she moves into her. And where is she going to find a job in Slough? Are there knicker factories in Slough? Oh, probably. There's knicker factories everywhere. Are there? Oh, so many knicker factories. <laughs> it was not the most satisfying of endings for this particular storyline. Because remember, in the very beginning of this, we were applauding the show for having this really interesting storyline where a woman makes a deliberate choice to not be a mother Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden she's a mother and she's going to move in with the father of her child who she has very little i mean sexual interest in when you look at it from that perspective she spent two weeks Mm -hmm. ignoring this as something that she wanted to be part of and then it was forced upon her by her dad and like a month and a half later now she's out and she's in slough not 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 the most pleasant of things but, but i'm just but glad then, but see that this the one part of this whole thing that really kind of rang true from from what we've been shown rather mm-hmm. than what we've been told was when she ran out uh uh tim's house into jackson's arms uh-huh. and they kind of giggled as they hugged right and i believed that yeah that was right but she's just finished saying that she doesn't love this guy. Well, she said that to Craig. But she I believed gonna... it. I believed it. I believed it. I believe that be- she doesn't. Did you believe her when she said she loved Craig? I believe that she loves Craig. I don't believe that she's in love with Craig. I don't. I don't believe that. No. I don't believe either of those things. No. I, I, she doesn't. And love it's Craig. so weird because both of them, both of them, have been talking in interviews about the fact. That they grew up together on the set. They're wonderful friends together. Wonderful friends together. And it's just, it's shocking to me a little bit that they are such good friends in real life. They're such close friends in real life. They've grown up together in real life. And yet their characters just do not work together. Don't drive at all. At all. And it's and it's especially jarring now that we have the whole Sarah and Damon thing because you know, they've been friends forever as well mm-hmm. outside of the show. And you can tell because yep. they really just just melt the screen. Yeah, I agree. Together. You can't just throw two characters together no, without you really giving can't. it any thought. Yeah. It, it needs to work. Right. And it never did. And, you know, and that's just what they did. They're like, oh, well, here are two characters at loose ends. Let's throw them together. I have seen commentary of people who who did believe in it more than we did and mm. and called them a cute couple together i don't know that really? there was really anything cute about them because when Faye was talking about their their time together and the good times that they had together i'm thinking can you be a bit more specific because all i can think of is dead ted right and her pregnancy not a scare but but how that turned into her early menopause right. thing. So what where exact, they were arguing and fighting all the time, so and Craig exact, was constantly losing patience with her. Really good times here. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm struggling to think at any time that they've actually right felt like they've got on with each other. Yeah. So I yeah. don't know. It's a, it's a shame because Faye as a character just never really got storylines that that stuck. The, no. the early menopause had potential yeah and, and then as you just, said 
and as you said, the the disinterest in being a mother to Miley was was interesting, but I don't think they've been true to the character. The the only the only story the only storyline in the time that I've watched the show for Faye that it felt like that really worked for me and felt really impactful was the Ray Weinstein yep. stuff and the bashing him in the head or bashing Adam in the head thinking that he was Ray Weinstein. Right. You know, all of that really worked for me until she went to prison and was just complaining that she was in prison. <laughs> yeah. I hate it here. It's so boring. Well, then maybe you don't bash people over the head without checking and making sure they're the right person. No, Missy's after the event. Yes. All right, let's move on then. Farewell to Faye. But Farewell, let's move Faye. on now to Justice for Amy. Last Friday at number one, Dee Dee explains to Stephen Trace about the cost of a high court trial and the burden of proof which lies with Amy. Aaron is not the one that's on trial in this. She suggests writing a retraction after all, which Tracy balks at. Steve is still thinking that the other side might blink first, but they think then they might need to sell the businesses and make Paul and Billy homeless, which Tracy thinks they might just do anyway. <laughs> but was that the joke? But the other side meet up too and are ready to plough on with the case, although their brief explains the same stuff to them as Dee Dee did to Stephen Tracy, but right. they think the burden of proof is in their favour. Because, well, like, like we them, said last week, he said, she said, is not an even no. comparison. But Aaron doesn't look like he's as confident as the lawyer and his He dad. wants nothing to do with us. Yeah, he is really uncomfortable. And you know he's really uncomfortable because he's beginning to realize, he's finally putting the pieces together and realizing what he actually I, did. I, I don't know. I don't know if he is, but I, I do think he's I think he's still he's trying to deny it right. to himself. But I think he knows better now. In Nina's roles, Mary has a word with Amy. It seems Trace has already got an estate agent who wants to value the florist to come round. Amy is shocked. Shocked, I tells you. So she runs home and tells him that they can't do this and it's worse when she finds out that Steve's selling streetcars too. Steve and Tracy stand firm. They've got Amy's back regardless of what it costs. So Amy meets up with Aaron and Nina's roles at closing time and makes a plea for him to drop the case. She tells him that a court case will be as hard for him as it will be for her. What's he going to say when a lawyer comes at him? Quit while you're ahead, she says. And this gives Aaron food for thought, but when he tells Eric that he's not sure of pursuing the case and spending all of Nan's money and how he doesn't want the lawyer twisting his words, Eric is determined to clear his name and says that this is why this money has fallen into my lap. Right. Back at number one, Dee Dee shows up to tell them that the other side are ploughing ahead as suspected. Amy is crushed and apologises. Dee Dee reminds them once again that the financial repercussions of this are brutal if they lose. Well, then we just need to win, says Tracy. Mm-hmm. On Monday, in case you've forgotten, the fucking scaffolding's still up. Yes. Steve and Tracy are off to see the bank manager for a loan when Aggie springs out to ask when the roof's going to get fixed. Tracy says it's not a priority, but Aggie has a limit to her patience. Back home, Ed explains about the libel case to Aggie, which Aggie didn't know about, and now she feels like a prize prick for choosing today to make a big deal about it. And that means Ed's going to have to fix the situation, which also means fixing the roof. Aggie goes to see Tracy and they both apologise. Aggie has a suggestion and offers Ed to go fix the roof, and it's on the house. Mm -hmm. Tracy and Aggie hug, and it's rather lovely. It really is. And later, Steve thanks Ed too, but he wants to pay him when he can. 
Ed tells him to focus on the case. Steve says that he's not a hugger, which is a total lie. Yeah, seriously. So when Ed is done, we might be finally getting rid of that fucking scaffolding right. after 10 months. And they both walk into their <clears throat> their front doors together at the same time. Hmm. On their, and, and that was really... That was really clever too. They kind of opening the doors simultaneously. It's like it was really cute. And that's and as far as we get with that this week. I like Ed's coat. You're not convincing me that this scaffolding is coming down without some drama attached to it. Mm. And you may be team me on this when I tell you that next week is Britain's Got Talent Week, Uh-oh. which means that. Corey's on every night oh. next week, Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. This is the big, the big summer week Ugh. where something's going to happen, and I am going to suggest that someone is going to fall from that scaffolding. I'm just suspecting Ed falling through the roof because it's been what, like six months? Ten months. Okay, yeah, and it was already needing fixed. Needing fixed. <laughs> so it's gone through the winter. And oh, the yeah. rainy season. It's, it's going, well, it's Manchester. It's always a rainy season. <laughs> but the but Ed made this offer mm-hmm. the best part of a year ago to fix it. Right, and to give and, mates rates. And Steve refused. Right. Because I can't remember Reasons. why. Oh, he was mad at Ed because Ed insulted <clears throat> him in some way. Now Ed's fixing it anyway. It's like, well, you know, this is case right. in point of something that could have been resolved but it would have been less much, much longer. It would have been less heartwarming if he had paid Ed to do it and it wasn't Ed and Aggie doing something nice for them when they're going through this tragedy with their daughter. What I would like to know is is this the reason why the scaffolding is there? Was the plan all along to have the scaffolding there for ten months? Or was there really some some work that needed done on that house? or the front of that house that required scaffolding hmm. and they've just been able to finagle a storyline out of it. It's Who not knows? coming down that it's like the sinkhole. The sinkhole's not getting fixed and then that's it. Right. The scaffolding's not coming down and that's it. Something's right. happening. Something's happening next week that's going to involve the scaffolding. And I'm quite excited to know what that's going to be. Maybe maybe that's how they'll finally find the missing anorak. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it's blown up on Steve's roof. Yes. Wouldn't that be nice? Amy's the Amy scene with Aaron and mm-hmm. Dina Rolls, I think, was a real the scene that stood out for me in this because she was <clears throat> she's super brave doing this anyway. Yeah. Sitting face to face with him alone, although right. with Roy somewhere. Right. right. But she's super brave to sit across a table with him uh-huh. and very much ignores anything that he has to say right this is why we're here right i'm making a plea to you to right. do this which is going to be in your best, best interest interests. as well right she totally takes control of the situation takes control of the conversation he just has to sit there and listen to it mm-hmm. and it worked yeah aaron does want to 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 drop it mm-hmm. sees no benefit in doing it right and, and going forward with it it's eric who is driving this yeah it's Eric who has It's Eric calling her a bitch. Right. It's all Eric. It's not Aaron. Aaron Aaron gets frustrated with Amy, but he never badmouths Amy. Mm-hmm. You'll notice. 
And he always kind of defends her a little bit like, I don't know why she's doing this. She's a good person, but I don't know why she's doing this to me, which is ridiculous. And I'm still not entirely sure what they hope to get out of suing Amy because she right. has nothing. What right. are you suing her for? She has no money. Right. And Steve's money and Tracy's money have got nothing to do with her. She's an adult. Right. And also, you're dragging your dirty laundry into court one way or the other. One way or the other, that kid is going to have to stand in court and he has to explain why he was drunk, mm-hmm. what he did, where he put his hands, when. And, you know, Amy's right. This, you know, as far as that's concerned... Why would he want to do that? Even if he thought he was right. Even uh, if he thought he was right. It's dragging all of this stuff out into the open. And it's still a flip of a coin. Right. Yeah. Which is also ridiculous. I, I, don't, I don't see this going to court anymore. I, I see Eric finally getting... Maybe getting back on the mm. sauce. Or something that is going to I, just I, I ruin all this I see. I see Aaron finally admitting to his dad that he did it and getting him to drop the case. Because mm. he does have this look on his face like he knows he's done something wrong. It is really weird, though, because there are, there are moments where it seems like the show is trying to get us to be sympathetic to Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't I appreciate hate that. It. I don't appreciate that. Like there was that, you know, when he's when he's trying to get his dad to drop the case and his dad is like, no, I'm not going to drop the case. And he walks away. And then there's this very slow zoom onto Aaron's teary face. Mm. Yeah, it's like Eric's, Eric's to blame for all right. the Eric's stuff. Eric's the bad guy? Yeah. Nice I try, mean, he Corey. is a bad guy, but Aaron is also a bad guy. Right. Let's move on. Our next storyline is Professor Boom Boom. Last Friday was... I don't remember being in the show. Boom, boom, not broom, broom. (laughs) Boom, boom. Oh, I see. Boom, boom. Last Friday (laughs) was Eliza's birthday. She meets up with Sam and Hope, who are holding hands, which looked weird. It did look weird. It's also Eliza's last day at her old school, and she asks Hope to remind the kids at her new school to come along to her party. Hope promises to remember, but clearly doesn't plan to. No. And Nina's roles, Stu accosts Liam and Jake and encourages them to come along to the party with the limo and the movies. And when Stu leaves, Hope insists it's going to be a little kids event, which puts the boys off. Roy sees this and thinks this is unkind. Yes. So, half a dozen kids show up for the limo and Stu seems particularly put out that Liam and Jake haven't shown up. It's two kids, Stu. Relax. plenty of kids there. Right. That limo isn't going to be filled up by Liam and Jake. No. He wants to speak to their parents. About what? About what? Later, once the movie is over, back at Nina's Rolls, Hope explains that she thought the party was tomorrow. Oh well, says Jasmine. But Stu is still put out and Roy is suspicious of Hope's subterfuge. To make up for it, they arrange to have another party. A speed dial tomorrow. Just write this off and move on. Right, yeah. On Monday... It's Eliza's first day at the big school and she'd rather hang with Hope and Sam than go in with Stu and Yasmin. Sam says that she can sit with him on the bus and he has a surprise for her party. All of this makes Hope impossibly jelly. Yes, Hope is very upset by all of this. After school, all the kids turn up at Speed Dial for Eliza's second party. Sam is preparing for a surprise. Hope asks to help, but Sam has already enlisted Roy. They call each other Dr Bunsen and Dr Burner. Yes. 
Yes, Once the which pre- just made me think of the Muppets, of course it and did. it was delightful. Once the preparation is done, they leave the surprise under wraps, which Hope is quick to note. And the surprise is some shit to do with chemistry, with potassium or whatever. <laughs> Hope is vocal about how much Eliza's party sucks balls, which makes Eliza sad. But if she's sad one minute, then she's checking her eyebrows haven't burned off the next, and Yasmin has to crack open a new fire extinguisher when the experiment nearly burns speed dial down again. And this time Zidane isn't there to fake an insurance claim. So Roy would be Beaker in this situation, and <laughs> Sam would be Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, because Sam is the one who wears glasses. Right. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just imagining Roy with flaming red hair. Yep. And it's, it's delightful. It's not bad. <laughs> the kids love the fact that they almost died in an explosion, but the parents are ambivalent at best that their kids almost died in an explosion, and they all seem to have complained to Eliza about it for some reason. Right? Yeah. Why would you complain to the child? Mm-hmm. And why would you tell the child that you think Roy is addled? The only kid who seems to be decent about any of this. Is Ruby. Yes, Ruby is, as always, a delight. Later, Sam and Roy go to see Eliza at home to apologise and give her flowers. The video of the incident, would you believe, has gone viral. Yes. Viral video of the week. Yes, yes, Hope made sure of it. Eliza accepts the apology but still seems pissed. Sam goes to see Hope, confused about what happened because all the measurements were right. Hope admits that she fucked about with the experiment and she knew what she was doing. Sam masks his fury, knows that she did this to piss off Eliza. He tells Hope that they should take a break from each other. And when Hope reacts badly, he tells her, it's not me, it's It's you. you. (laughs) Grabs his coat and leaves. But immediately beforehand, covers for Hope and tells Tyrone that he put too much potassium in. Takes the blame. Which gives Tyrone a chance to make a banana joke. Mm-hmm. Which, bravo Tyrone for knowing that bananas have potassium. It all comes back to bananas this week. <laughs> That's as far as we get with that this week. Now, remember when they said that they were that they were going to give Hope lighter storylines because of her age still and waiting. wanting to... We're still waiting for that. S- seriously, she took delight in almost burning a business down. <laughs> she's, still, she's still the little pyro that she was when she was hiding matches in her doll's head. And almost burned the factory down. Right. Oh my God! What? What? Is this what the show considers a lighter storyline for this kid? Really? The sad thing is that it, it maybe is. I'm kind of glad that that Sam dumped her. Yes, me too. But okay. no one worried for him. Right. Yes. Is he going to die? He better not. He's not going to die. No. Hope's but, first but, I, but I think he's in for a, a bit of a, a time of it over the mm. next few weeks because Hope's not going to take this line down and she's no. certainly not going to admit that she was wrong. No. But but Sam needed to be more cognitive of how his actions are going to affect Hope. Or does he? I don't think I I don't think he does. Because he says because when Hope says, But I'm your girlfriend, Sam says to her very reasonably. It's Eliza's first day at school. She's my friend. I want to help her out. Mm. If you didn't want to sit next to me on the bus because your friend was, it was your friend's first day of school and you wanted to help them out. I'd be wearing them as earrings. 
I would be okay with no, it. No, you would not. I would too. Unlikely. You go off and do things without me all the time and I'm fine with it. When? Like when you go and have coffee with Steve. <laughs> you allow me that. Yes. And when you and Audrey have your chats after work on the Zoom. Like at the end of the day, sometimes you and Audrey are just chatting about shooting the breeze. Oh, the, the, that's triggered by work. Right. Yeah. But it's not work related and I'm fine with that. Oh, yeah, because if I was in the office, I'd just be chatting to her over the desk. Right, and I would be fine with that too. I don't think I need your permission. No. No, but it's okay. I'm okay with you having friends of the opposite sex. Like Steve. Like Steve. Steve. Right, there you go. Liverpudlian is a separate gender. You're making a great case for this. <laughs> well, I, I feel heard. Right. And you were fine when I was like doing things. When it like um, a lot of the committees that I was on, I was the only woman on the committee, and you weren't like mad or jealous about that. No, but we're not in a, a soap opera. No, and we're also I, not we're children. We're not eleven, right? I'm not saying that he should have, but he could have known that his actions were going to annoy Hope, and what he needed to do was work out if the risk of that was worth it. Sam is a very intelligent boy. He is. He does not always catch social cues, though. I was, that is not his strength. I was pleased to see him take charge of the situation at the end there, though. And dump hope, yeah. And, and, well, not dump her, but... He dumped take, her. Take a break. He dumped her, yeah. Yeah. As he should. And that actually made her sad. Yeah. And I enjoyed seeing her have an emotion that wasn't bitter hatred and... Mischief. Now, this uh, this storyline stopped on Monday, so I was pleased that on Wednesday and Friday we didn't get more attempts by Stu to give Eliza a birthday party. Right. That seems to be it now. Yes, thank, thank goodness. goodness. I, I, yeah, I don't think Eliza would have tolerated it. <laughs> I was very disappointed <clears throat> in Eliza when she called Sam a nerd, though. First of all, do kids even use the word nerd anymore? I don't know. And, and secondly... This is like the one kid who's been nice to you, Eliza, yeah, in your new true. school. Yeah. Maybe maybe let's cut him some slack. That's not a bad, bad thing to be called. What a geek. Right, but she meant <clears throat> it in a bad way. Well, her, I, her mom's in jail, so ha Right, and geeks bite off the heads of live chickens and circuses. Let's move on then to our next storyline, which is cultural exchange. Last Friday, and Nina's oh, roles. Oh God, yes! Brian and Mary we have to talk about this. Are excited about Isabella's arrival, and they discuss activities they can do in Manchester during this cultural exchange. Brian's keen to tell her about his shipbuilding hobby. Mary decides to tag along for the lols. So Isabella arrives on the tram from Naples, and she's about <laughs> as stereotypical middle-aged Italian lady on holiday as you'd expect. A woman named Isabella on a soap opera to be. Mary is worried about her being a serial killer, though. Despite the chat about various activities, Brian takes her to the rovers where they act snobbish about the Italian wine. Mary asks her if she's a serial killer, which Sean thinks would mean that she fits right in. Right. (laughs) That was hilarious. Thank you for giving Sean a funny line, Corey. Isabella tells her not to worry. She has no plans to kill Mary's boyfriend in the night, which Mary laughs a little bit too much about. Brian does as he threatened and tells Isabella about his model ship and wouldn't you Adam and Eve it, Isabella is into that too. And she heads off to the bogs for yeah. a shite, seemingly knowing the way, which I thought was, hmm. 
And also, she talks about having built the Santa Maria, not an Italian ship. Does it have to be? No, but I found it. Or, or a British ship. A ship that left Spain to find a new course to India and discovered America, only didn't really. Which brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. Uh Uh-oh. I invited viewers on Twitter to place their first guesses on Isabella's birthplace. Was it Sardinia or was it Salford? 10.7% thought Sardinia. 89.3% thought Salford. And I'm like, they're just going way too in here on right. the Italian stuff, right? right? There's no way in the world that she's Italian. And 90% of people seem to agree. Yes. On Monday, Brian brings Isabella into Nina's roles. He's dressed like a twat. Brian <laughs> introduces her to Glenda, who has been to Napoli. And Isabella is quick to change the subject and to order double espressos all round, which apparently has a history of giving Brian palpitations. They take their drinks to the to go, so Brian can give her the grand tour. And after the tour, they head to the bistro. The cobbles seem to have taken their toll on Isabella's heels, which was quite amusing. Brian recommends <laughs> the bolognese, but Isabella poo-poos it for being fake and insists they eat proper Italian food later tonight. They, they make this comment about how her stiletto has broken... And then they make the unwise decision to give us a shot of her shoes, which both have perfectly level heels <laughs> and neither of which look broken at all. That was hilarious. It's like, Corey, what are you doing? Brian's half pissed and is smoking ciggies outside the bistro with Isabella. And passing Mary is appalled, saying loudly how Brian doesn't smoke. And she asks Isabella not to encourage him. Isabella flicks her cigarette on the ground and storms back into the bistro. Because apparently they're teenagers now. Brian asks Mary not to continue to embarrass him in front of his cousin. Because they're teenagers now in the 1980s. In the... 1980s. Wow. McFly. (laughs) Later, Mary has joined the two of them and Brian is already looking up flights. Isabella says once her apartment is finished, Brian is most welcome. See Naples and die, she says. What? Yikes. And it seems Mary has tried and failed to catch Isabella out by naming places that aren't Italian. On Wednesday, Brian is hung over to fuck in the morning and reeking the cigarettes as he meets Mary outside Nina's Rolls. Mary advises him not to try to change himself to please anyone else. He thinks Isabella's encouraging him to live life to the full. She's going home tomorrow and she's the only family Brian is in touch with. That's quite sad. Seriously. Brian is impressed by George's enormous boat. But I like that. It's much better than his. George is still a bit wary of Brian, but I believe that. But accepts his apology and suggests they travel together to the ship competition thing. While they're distracted, Isabella glues George's ship to the table. But not like that. No, very much (laughs) like that. This is this week's accidentally glued to the table, but not accidentally. Right. Yeah. Later, Brian's ship is now in George's hearse ahead of the travel. When George and Brian try to lift George's boat, it breaks in Brian's hands. George is furious, accuses Brian of sabotage and stealing that maidenhead, and he impounds Brian's ship in the hearse. Mary accuses Isabella of doing the gluing deliberately. Todd has just fucked off that something else has been glued to the table (laughs) and tells George to give Brian his toy back. (laughs) Which was delightful. I love Todd this week. Yeah, just so... Yes, more Todd with the family. My favourite thing. He's he's the everyone's parent. Yes. So good. 
Later, Mary makes a case for Isabella being the phantom gluer. Todd says that she has no proof, just as George finds his maiden head after all. And Todd tells him that they have some splaining to do. So they go to the bistro. George, an old hand at apologising, says a few heartfelt words to Brian and the two of them make up. Mary mumbles an apology to Isabella. All's well that ends well, says Todd. Now get the fucking drinks in, George. On Friday, Isabella and Brian are in the rovers when Mary comes in to join them. Isabella knows the English word sticky, which I thought was odd, to say the least. To say the word sticky. Sticky? She knows the word sticky and didn't have to think about it. She's not Italian. Brian is making plans already to visit Isabella, but there's no room for Mary to join them. Uh-oh. Later, Isabella finds Brian and Nina's roles. She's upset because she's heard from her decorators that her house is collapsing into the ocean or whatever. Now it's not safe for her to return. She's homeless, or as she says, homeless. Which brings us on to this week's hard debate again. <laughs> Omelette. So I asked at the start of the week, or the end of mm-hmm. last week, what people thought, and it was 90 10 mm-hmm. in favour of Isabella being a con artist. So I mm-hmm. decided to ask again to see if that shifted right. after this week's episodes. And strangely, with more votes, the vote has shifted slightly to her actually being Italian. Mm. It's gone from 10% to 15%. Uh, and and fake in English gone down from 90 to 85. Bernie was just conned recently by her fake twin. Hmm. Doesn't it seem a little too soon to have another con artist show up? Are you telling me that she's Italian? I don't know. She does sound a little bit like Isabella Rossellini. <laughs> mm. Mm. She knows the word sticky and she knew where the rover's toilets were. Well, don't you kind of assume that the toilets are in the back? Aren't the toilets always in the back unless you're in Scotland and they're upstairs? Downstairs. Downstairs. If Canada is when they're upstairs. Don't know where you're going upstairs. Wouldn't you like to know? No. Probably having coffee with Steve. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not convinced. Still I think she might be uh, wrong on uh, she probably is. But I then just I'm don't thinking what's what's her what's her game here? Brian's no good anything. Right, and also he reached out to her. She he found her on the DNA site, so they supposedly share DNA. I don't know how easy that is to fake for, you know, the run-of-the-mill middle-aged woman. There is something off here. I just don't know what it is. I will tell you what, though. It is delight. It was delightful, Mary playing the serial killer, not serial killer game while waiting for Isabella. Yes. Because who hasn't? Played the serial killer, not serial killer game yeah, when I, I, strangers walk by. I typically go not serial killer. That's because you're an optimist. I think I'm right most of the time. <laughs> and also, it makes me giggle every time somebody says maidenhead on the show when they're talking about the boats. Because I, someone who grew up in in New England, where lots of boats were, and in a Navy family where boats were discussed all the time, boats of all different shapes and sizes, and where many of my field trips were to old shipyards and shipbuilding, and I have slept in a tall ship before, have never heard it called a maidenhead. I thought it was a figurehead. We say figurehead. I thought it was figurehead as well. Yes. So every time they say maidenhead, I giggle. 
And every, especially every time George says, I've lost my maiden head, I giggle because it makes it seem like George is constantly losing his virginity on the show over and over and over again. Maybe that is what he means. <laughs> Maybe that explains all that glue. <laughs> and why he's so very angry. But Brian isn't trying to fuck Isabella, is he? They're cousins. They're cousins. Well, you know, people can be funny about cousins and they're not like... Brian. They're not like first cousins. They're like fourth cousins, right? So that's fine. And she's not trying to get her hole off of him, I don't think. She might be. The way that she's like digging at Mary makes me seem like... Yeah, why does she not like Mary? And why does Mary not like her? Because Mary thinks that she's a fake. they're fighting over Brian... They both want to shag Brian. It would be different if she was just a completely random, not related Italian woman. Right. Then Mary's jealousy, I think, is Right, who him. just kind of showed up. Then I would say, oh, look, here's this, this random Italian woman who's found an easy mark in Brian. Mm. But again, he mm. only reached out and contacted her because the DNA testing site said that they were related. And she and Brian said to and Mary it invited her. She's the only family that I'm in contact with. So he thinks of her as family. Right. So Which is l- creepy. So let's not yeah, let's back off from that. So where is Brian where's the rest of Brian's family? And why is he not in contact with them? That's the story I want. Brian. Yeah. Because question asked, question answered. Right. <laughs> Because surely Kathy and, and Alex weren't his only, you know, kind of family beforehand. Because I why? think he's always been a bit of a loner. He has no parents? I, d- I don't know. I don't think they've... I don't remember them being mentioned. Maybe they have. I he, don't remember. He has no siblings? No I, aunts I and uncles? Think, I don't think any of them have been mentioned. It's weird for him to say that, though, and just leave it, like, hanging like that. And it feels true because we never heard or seen of anybody else right yeah but we don't know why anyway and brian it can't be the only answer because one would reasonably suspect that for brian to be what he is he must come from people that are exactly like him maybe isabella's killed them all (laughs) let's move on our next storyline is sheer angina attack on wednesday not like that no i'm not giving you that (laughs) remember freddy the small yappy type dog Yes. Well, Roy is getting ready to walk him, but is apprehensive because Freddy goes for cats. So C-A-T-S. So Evelyn takes control. And Evelyn seems to have got Freddy well trained already, but Roy takes another funny turn outside the community garden. Evelyn sits him down and the pain passes again. Evelyn wants him to get to the medical centre, but he doesn't see the point because he's already seen Dr. Gadas and is waiting for a hospital appointment. And while they're talking about this, Evelyn reminds Roy that they need to get Freddy's nuts chopped off. Yay! Poor Freddy. Back Why f- didn't his former owner, the guy who died of a heart attack, not Wolf. get that taken care of? Wolf? Maybe Wolf. Gilf? Wolf. Yeah, why didn't he not already get that taken care of? That's not a puppy anymore. If only we could ask him. But he's dead. Back at the cafe, Roy seems to be better, but he and Evelyn continue this chat about the two appointments that need to be chased up. Roy to get his heart checked out, and Freddy to get his bollocks removed. On Friday, Roy is like a half-shut knife <laughs> when Evelyn comes in and he rolls. Can you imagine... <clears throat> Can you imagine if Carla has secretly become a veterinarian 
and they take Freddy to the vets, and in comes Carla wearing a white jacket with a giant pair of scissors and says, All right, Bob All right, Bob You're mine now. Snip, snip. I think the chances, to be fair, are pretty low. Maybe it could be like a dream sequence where this happens. When Roy is is, is under the knife. Dreaming about dogs getting their bollocks cut off. By Carla, who says, all right, Bob That's what she says, all right, Bob Bags. And remember... And she's got giant scissors to do it. Remember, though, if you see oh. Ali King, try and get her to say, all right, Bob Bags, please... Please, just for us. Just we won't even share it on the internet. Wink. <laughs> on Friday, Roy's like a half-shot knife when Evelyn comes in, in the roles. She arranges to walk Freddy with him later and then reminds him about his doctor's appointment, which he quickly changes to vet's appointment when Nina's ears prick up, but eventually goes out on his own. And he's walking Freddy in the precinct when the dog bursts off the leash and runs after a cat. An orange cat. Roy gives chase, somehow catches the dog. But now he's having yet more chest pains. Luckily, Evelyn is in the charity shop and quickly calls an ambulance. Roy and Evelyn are at the hospital in the waiting room. Roy already seems better and has had an ECG, seemingly without taking his anorak off. <laughs> Finally, he's called by the doctor And after a battery of tests Evelyn helps Roy get his anorak back on She thinks the events of the Which day Which was very cute Right, prove how much he loves that wee dog Roy's surprised because Evelyn referred to Freddy As a hamster with a personality problem Evelyn thinks about Cerberus And Roy comforts her by touching her hand They're interrupted when the doctor comes in To tell Roy that he has angina And he'll be needing a stent fitted Crack on, big chap, says Roy. Even thinks this means that he needs to tell Nina. Yes. But back at Nina's roles, Roy thinks that because the procedure is so commonplace, there's no point worrying Nina for no reason. Oh, for fuck's sake, Roy. And he'll tell her that he's going away for a break instead. And at this, Nina walks in and Evelyn covers by saying that he's off to Rill and Freddie will stay with her in the meantime. And that's as far as we get with that this week. We can say of Paul and, and, of, and of Tim last year, that these are men who maybe aren't quite so sharp in their in their social in their in their moral compass to think that they are doing the right thing by keeping things from family right but roy is an intelligent person in so many ways as opposed to paul and tim but even Evelyn saying that that last thinks of you as a dad right. isn't enough to get him to, right. to tell her. I don't know. It kind of feels not Roy to not tell her. Well, yes and no. And I think the, the bit that does feel like him is after, remember that time that Evelyn ran down that embankment and fell headfirst into the river? You mean Nina? Who did I say? You said Evelyn. Right. <laughs> Which would have been funnier. Evelyn, I don't think, has done that. Although, yet. it was really funny when Nina did it. It was funny when Nina did it. And that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> He's been responsible for Nina becoming either unhappy or or overly concerned about him. That's what happened. So he's trying not to do that again. 
Not correctly. No, no, because maybe it has to do with the fact that she watched somebody that she loves very much get murdered in front of her face. Maybe that's why she's like that, Roy. Right, right, right. There was that little little moment of electricity between them when Yeah, when Roy, they were holding hands. Very briefly. Roy thought about it and then very deliberately put his hand on hers and she just has time to look up and and look at him. Right. When the doctor comes in and, and spoils it all, but But I mean, they're already like an old married couple, aren't they? Like the way she rushes out of that store and sees him and and gets him on the bench and tut tuts him for not waiting for her to walk the dog. Yeah. And everything. The way he hel- she helps him with his anorak and everything. I thought It's I, so cute. I don't know that if this was deliberate or not, but when she starts talking about Freddie's testicles. Uh-huh. I was like, why are we suddenly talking about Freddie's testicles? Taking Roy's mind off it. Right. I think that's what she was doing. Yeah. In which case that would have worked perfectly. Because now all of a sudden Roy's not concerned about his chest. He's thinking about that dog's balls. Right. And quite frankly, we all were. Yeah. I'm wondering why Wilf hadn't taken care of that before he dropped dead. Right. All right. I need my guitar for this. No. He doesn't show up, so why are we using the guitar? Join in if you know the words. No. <clears throat> Justin's talking rights again. Again. I hate it. I hate it. It hurts my ears. It's Justin's talking rides again, y'all. I hate it more than the YouTube theme song. On Friday... At number one, Daisy, Daniel and Ken are anxious ahead of Justin's sentencing. This is just for the assault in Victoria Gardens, mind you, not the acid attack. He's up for that next week. <laughs> Daniel wants to take Daisy's mind off it by insisting that Daisy sits next to him on a train to York and back. Fuck that, says Daisy. And Daniel is now out of ideas. Mm. Later the Rovers, still no word about Justin's assault verdict. Daisy speaks briefly with Debbie about seeing Ryan, which Debbie reckons is a bad idea right now. Best to give him a bit of space. He's still sore from whatever it was that you said to him. Daisy wants to be there for Ryan ahead of next week's trial. Jenny tells her to be prepared for him not to be interested in that happening. Then Daisy gets a text. Justin has pleaded guilty for assault and the sentencing is pending until after the acid attack trial. Daisy is very worried that Justin is going to slime his way out. And number one, Daniel the psychologist reckons that Justin is desperate and in denial that he did what he actually did, but that doesn't mean that he has a credible case. Daniel nips off for a shite while Daisy deals with a new text from Ryan, seemingly the first one in ages, and then the two of them, Daisy and Daniel, head off to pick up Bertie from whichever pillar or post he's been dumped at, and it seems that they're being watched by someone in a car in the street yeah i didn't like that and that's as far as we get with that i do like daisy's coat though that's a nice coat yeah ken, um, ken was a asshole. yeah well he's just he was asking her a question and she didn't answer because she was on her phone mm-hmm. and so he's like course, oh what get off your phone and answer me right and then you know what ken she's got things on her mind right now right. Maybe, what, maybe back off a bit what was it that he asked it was like why can't why can't somebody change the filter on the something it was something unimportant it really was mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and then Daniel 
as his, his usual self. Yeah, he's trying to justify what he assumes is going on in Justin's head mm-hmm. by talking about his four-year-old son and a, and lipstick. Well, this is what happened when, when Bertie stole your lipstick and he refused to, you know, and he constantly denied it, even though he had lipstick all over his face. And Daisy quite rightly points out that Justin Justin's is not, not a four. four-year-old boy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so again, I think I just just some scenes here to to ready us for next week right. when the trial is going to be happening. Yes. How do you see that going? I don't want to think about it. Could you think about it for the purposes of this podcast? No. No, I just I'm so ready for the story to be over. Mm. Just so I stop playing the guitar. Well, there is that, but also just. You know, it feels like especially this particular trauma porn has run its course and and it's it's time to time to put it put it to bed. And it just feels like we're dragging it out a little too much by having these two separate court cases, Mm -hmm. especially since these two events happened. These two events didn't happen consecutively one week and then the next week. Oh, pretty close. They were like. There was like a couple of weeks in between, weren't there? Oh, pretty close. It feels like a way to draw it out even more. And really, to what end? Is it, oh, are they going to are they gonna put Justin away or not? And, oh, what's going to happen? I would rather give us a trial, good old British soap opera staple having a trial. I would rather have that than have one second more of Daisy pretending to be Crystal. Well, okay, I will give you that. So I'm quite. I just glad. don't want to see Justin again. I'm quite glad that we're that we're focusing on this bit right. of it. And I think the I don't want to <laughs> see Justin again either. But I think that's kind of the mark of a good villain. Yeah, I do find it interesting that that Ryan hasn't texted Crystal since the. Of course, we're still mates. Yeah, which was a couple of weeks ago. Wasn't it just last week? No, I think it was a while ago. It wasn't. It wasn't this week. No, but I think it was. It was. It was last week when he like declared his love for her, and then was well, while the he was before. while he had sepsis. I don't think he's still in the ago. hospital. It's, no, no he just out. got out mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Uh, so no hospital music this week. I think. Well, not for. Oh that. no! Yeah, we had it for Roy. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to think about Roy ever, ever getting... I no. don't want to think about anything bad ever happening to Roy. No, they can bugger off with that. Yes, Absolutely. they can. They can fuck all the way off of that. Justin is pleading not guilty to this, obviously. I'm not sure what he's got up his sleeve to try and wriggle his way out of it. Yeah, because Ryan's face is pretty co- pretty concrete evidence. The only thing is that the only people who saw this happen are the two people that got injured. Yeah, they just think some masked man came in and threw acid on on them. I don't know. Is he gonna say, Oh well, I was throwing acid, but I was just throwing it, you know, <laughs> yeah, to just help mind the one business, throwing some acid about you. It's like that meme of Danny DeVito saying, <laughs> So anyway, I just start shooting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I or is he going to plead is he is it gonna be like an insanity plea? I think that would be the safest bet. Yeah. So he pled not guilty to the acid attack, 
but pled guilty to the, the assault. But, assault. But as Daniel rightly said, Craig saw that happen. Right. A policeman saw that happen, so there's right. no way he was going to get off with that. Yeah. But it was just Ryan and Daisy that were in the rovers. Are there no cameras in the rovers? But then... Are there no cameras in the rovers? I don't think in the bar. I would think that that would be where the exact have, place where, where they would want cameras. cameras. But then who... Who, who nabbed him on the way out? Who caught him? Daisy. In the parking lot of the hospital. Right. So the police didn't... The police were fucking useless and all that then. Yeah. Yeah, right. they were. Oh, yeah. I remember that now. I remember yeah. Craig was involved. Right. Oh, well, we'll see where that goes. But Crooked yeah... Craig. I think this is not going to be an open and shut case, I don't no, think. No, and that's the that's the thing, you know. I just, I don't want it dragged out any more than it has to be. Yeah. Let, let, let Daisy's trauma just pass so we can focus on Amy's trauma some more. Right. And then Paul's trauma. Right, yes. Well, let's because talk- if it's not a woman, it's a gay man. Let's talk about that then. And our final storyline of this extended week, Paul's DD Day. On last Friday's Bravo, by the way. Thank you. Ed meets Paul in the street, keen to get him back working at the yard. Paul admits that he hasn't been given the all clear and doesn't know when he will. Ed is disappointed. Paul also dingies Gemma, who asks Paul to take Joseph to an audition at Little Big Shots. Later in Nina's roles, Ed talks to Dee Dee about his concerns about Paul, who doesn't seem to be telling him the whole truth about his injury or why it's taken so long to recover. He misses his right-hand man. Dee Dee makes her excuses and leaves. And Ed says this isn't just from a, a a working employer, perspective, right. right? They were friends. Right, which was nice. So Dee Dee and Paul meet in the rovers later and talk about Ed's concerns and how Paul needs to start telling people the truth. He's pushing people away until he does. Paul is in a bit of a pit of despair here, reckoning that he'll be sent down for years anyway, so who cares? Dee Dee tells him to act like a free man until he has any cause to behave otherwise. Paul still reckons that he's under a death sentence anyway, so embrace everything that comes your way, says Dee Dee, because nothing else matters. So later, Paul tells Gemma that he'll be there for her in future and tells Ed to refill his position as he doesn't know how long he's going to be out, but Ed refuses and tells him that the job is still his when he's ready. On Monday, Paul is in a cheerier mood when he gives Billy a hard yoke in the morning. But not like that. Well, that was a half-hearted but not like that. (laughs) He likes a hard one, does Billy. He tells Billy he has a good feeling about his upcoming appointment. But not like that. <laughs> At the quad house, Gemma's intending to make her own cake and Paul is thinking about stealing one, but Chesney has sorted it and has sorted the music too because he's got contacts, see? Contacts called Granny Linda, but he keeps that bit quiet. Gemma is thrilled. Paul heads off to see Dee Dee, who is the only person to ask him why he's in such a great fucking mood. Paul reveals that he stumbled upon some experimental MND medication and is dead excited about this giving him more time and he's off to see his or he's off to see a MND specialist today, even though his appointment isn't until tomorrow. At the hospital in the MND department, he asks a nurse to see a specialist about this new treatment, but there's nothing the guy can do right now, although he has heard of the medication and warns Paul that it only works for a very specific subset of patients. He advises Paul to speak to his specialist about it on the morrow. 
Back in the street, Paul has dropped Joseph at the little big shot's place, keeping his promise to Gemma. He gets talking to Glenda about microphone techniques she learned from her mentor, Babs McCracken, Phil's sister. <laughs> now, we are constantly <coughs> reminded about how poor this family is. Once they or twice. are so very, very poor, they cannot afford shoes for this child, mm-hmm. but they can afford dance lessons. Right. Well, you make sacrifices, don't you? <laughs> Rita has nipped round to the quad house to talk about Gemma's hen-do. She's had an idea that they have the hen-do and the stag-do at the Rovers at the same time, and she'll put some cash behind the bar, which essentially means that Chesney doesn't get a stag-do, but that's fine. No, he gets a mutual stag-do with, with, with Gemma. That's cute. It's N- nice. Yeah. yeah. When do, times do- are tough, says Rita, get fucked on booze. Everything's coming up Gemma today. Who's going to Chesney's stag do? <laughs> Let's no, be honest. Tuck. Maybe Tyrone. Billy drops round later to look for Paul, who is still out at the little big shots, and we learn that the hen and stag do's are tomorrow. This is very quick. This seems very quick, and we learn that the wedding's next week. Ches thinks it's all coming together, and to celebrate, he smashes his face in with a brick. Yay! Back home, Billy, who has spent five seconds in the company of quads, reckons that he and Paul should look into adopting one summer fox off for good. Paul is very against the idea until he sees how much Billy is into it, so he does a quick 180 and asks for time to think about it. On the ruse that they're out of milk, he rushes out and bursts into tears. Yeah, oh my God. Oofed. Oh my <sighs> God. It's so sad. Just, just, just tears your heart out. It does, and it just oh. continues to do it. Oh my God, so sad. It tears your heart out so much that you kind of ignore the fact that Billy is inexplicably suddenly got baby fever. Right. And doesn't notice what's happening right in front of his face. Right. And, you know, doesn't, doesn't take the time to say, wait a second, you love kids. Why are you so adamant that you don't want kids? Mm-hmm. This seems out of character for you. On Wednesday, up in the morning, and Paul's right foot doesn't seem to be working properly, which of course he has to hide from Billy. Billy's mind is still on that 30-second conversation about adoption from the other day, and Paul's mind couldn't be further from it. Later, Gemma and Chesney show up. She wants Paul to give her away now. Give her away, give her away now. Which she would absolutely love to do. And then she asks Paul to oversee the decorations happening at the Rovers as well. And they rush off, leaving Paul to wonder how the fuck he's going to manage any of this. Because she's worried it's going to be like a daisy do. Yeah. Which is fair. Hmm. Later still, Dee Dee shows up to accompany him to the hospital and we're reminded that he has the court tomorrow. She tells him to be prepared for all eventualities. The nick he's in, he reckons that he's going to get sent down. No, the nick he's in, the nick he's in, he doesn't reckon he's going to get sent down. Meanwhile, in Nina's roles, Aggie is suddenly concerned about Ed's workload and how he doesn't have anyone helping him. And I'm like, oh, oh. Once Aggie starts nipping Ed's ear about this. Mm-hmm. Later, Paul's on Maxine's bench and he watches with interest how Izzy gets around in a wheelchair and how people are generally despicable shits and block pavements with wheelie bins and vans. But she attacks these issues with good humour and grace, mostly. Yes. Paul gets the rovers. The decorations haven't been started. Jenny brings out a bag of crap and expects <laughs> Paul to help out, so he fakes an appointment and hurries off. Later, Dev's been roped in to help and decorate the place, while Billy, who has already adopted a daughter, is asking Toya, who hasn't adopted anyone, how he should go about it. Right, yes. 
completely ignoring what happened exactly a year ago <laughs> when Toya and Imran hmm. wanted to adopt and and failed miserably. Jenny mentions to them how Paul had a limp earlier when he shuffled out. I think that's the last time that happens this week. I hope so. Paul and Dee Dee go to his appointment. He dings a call from Billy while they wait, which gives Dee Dee another chance to pester him about telling people. Then the appointment, Paul mentions Tofferson, the new drug that slows down MND. His nurse tells him to speak to his consultant, but warns only a small percentage qualify for it, and he's going to have to test positively that he's in that group. Right. In the meantime, he asks for a steroid injection in his foot, but the nurse tells him that there's nothing they can do, and he's like, but I, I need to this to get better right i need to be able to walk <clears throat> so they head back to the street dd tells him that he can't pretend this isn't happening paul just wants to get through this week and next week and then he'll tell people toya passes him and says her conversation with billy was so exciting paul hasn't the faintest clue what she's talking about but smiles and agrees right yeah because <coughs> fucking billy i mean <laughs> right. He very specifically told you, let's wait on this. Mm -hmm. Let me think about it. Mm -hmm. And then Billy takes that as full speed ahead, right. sailor. At home, Billy explains about his conversation with Toya, who reckons that they should get on the adoption ball rolling thing right now. Yes. Paul says it's not the right time. He's got too much on. And while Billy goes off to get ready for the hen do, Paul sneaks out. But Billy's like, what do you mean you have too much on? What have you got on? Right. Paul None of your fucking business. Right. Paul arrives at the pub early and takes up residence on the bench seats before anyone else shows up. Gemma seems to have a bag of cocks that she wants to put on the tables, but Jenny puts the kibosh on that. That was hilarious. I kind of wanted to see what was in that bag. You knew they were cocks. Yeah, but you and still want to see it. And it's funny because it's the second, it's the second party-related dick joke of the week. <laughs> well, technically, no, because that was Friday. Dick joke. Of the week. week. Yes, because before it was the truncheons oh, yeah. for... For Craig's party. Right. As the night progresses, Gemma is loudly listing all the places she and Chesney have got their hole, and everyone is having a grand old time except Paul, who's still stuck in his seat. Rather touchingly, Gemma signs to him and asks him if he's okay, and he insists that he is. When Izzy comes in, <sighs> Paul asks her how she does it. Izzy is suspicious of the questioning, and rightly so. Is it hard being you? She says it's easy because she's fucking awesome. Aggie sees Paul and mutters to Ed how Paul is swinging the lead here while Ed is bursting his back with work. I love that scene with Izzy and and Paul when when Izzy says that it's because I'm awesome. Right. He laughs like it's the most genuine laugh in the world. And I wonder if there was maybe a little sneaky swear word thrown in there just to catch him unawares, just to get him to right. get him to chuckle. But anyway, it was lovely. Billy is a mood killer when he arrives. He wants to talk about the adoption thing again. He wants to talk about how Paul claims to have too much on and he wonders if he's been the problem. Paul lies and says he just wants to get back to work and everything's getting him down. Gemma sees Paul being down and wants to do a reprise off the let's get ready to rehumble dance that they did in the street a few years ago. Paul snaps at her and tells her to give her head a fucking wobble. Gemma goes off feeling a tube thanks to Paul snapping at her. And he's heading home later when she approaches him on it and he just loses his head, says that he's sick of the wedding, sick of her talking about it, sick of the money it's cost him, and tells her that she can walk herself down the aisle, and she retorts by telling him that he's no longer welcome at the wedding. And, I mean, in fairness, a number of people have seen him limping. 
Billy tries to explain to her that he's hurt his foot. Right. And she still is trying to get him to get up and dance. Even if he wasn't dying and refusing to tell his family about it. If I've, if I've walked funny and twisted my ankle, I'm not getting up to dance. But she's had a few. fuck you for telling me to get up and dance. She's had a few. Right. And then she accuses him of having a few when Mm. he can't walk. Right. Which, you know, it's just so heartbreaking. Because, you know, if she knew, she would be the very best sister ever. Oh, don't say that. That just makes me... Oh. And and that's just... It's so frustrating because she can still have a happy wedding if she knows that he's sick. Mm -hmm. I think her wedding would be a lot happier if she found out that he was sick when he first found out that he was sick because she would have have had a few weeks... To kind of get used to the idea, she wouldn't be getting married. I don't think. No, because he would say he would say, you know, I want you to get married before I die, and this no, well, and maybe. that's something yep. that happens an awful lot where people say, where people who are in long term relationships, their their parent or their sibling finds out that they have terminal cancer, and their sibling or their parents say, look, I'm going to die soon. Get married. Right. And people get married. On Friday over Pop Tarts, Billy t- tries to get Paul to apologize to Gemma, but Billy doesn't know the half of it when Paul explains that he'll no longer be walking her down the aisle and won't be attending the wedding. He refuses to say any more before Billy leaves to stick his head into various churches for no good reason today. Chocolate Pop Tarts. Didi comes, but not like that. Didi comes over <laughs> ahead of his hearing at the magistrates. Paul is having a crisis and considers not going. She thinks that he's joking and as she has business at the court beforehand, she arranges a taxi to pick him up later. He tells her about the row with Gemma and how avoiding the wedding is for the best. So, Which is not <clears> for <throat> the best at all. <clears throat> yeah, he's given Dee Dee plenty of signals that he's going to ding you this, this court appointment. Mm. On her way out, she bumps into Gemma and Bernie. Gemma is off to get her... <laughs> Gemma is off to get every hair from her body individually plucked. Bernie and Gemma are angry at Paul, obviously, and Didi insists that he loves the pair of them. Bernie buzzes Very a flat, much. but Paul just ignores it. And they also <clears throat> do this thing where, like, they're confronting her and saying, if you know something, you have to tell us. And it's so infuriating because mm-hmm. it's going to happen again with somebody else. And it's like, you need to talk to Paul. <laughs> but Paul's not talking. Right, yeah, but it's still not Dee Dee's place to be telling people no. that he's dying. No, and thank, at, and thank goodness that she is keeping people's right secrets, right? Yes. Meanwhile, Billy has decided not to stick his head into various churches after all and has gone to see Dee Dee at the law office instead and asked her what's going on with Paul. Dee Dee tells him that he's going to need to speak with Paul himself. Billy's sure that Paul's about to dump him and he begs her to tell him if she knows anything. We don't hear a response. And at court, there's no sign of Paul and Dee Dee can't get him on the phone. She leaves a message barking at him to get his arse down there now. And Paul is in the community garden and Damon wanders by. He thinks Paul has already been at the court and got off and calls him a muppet when he learns that Paul has given it a swerve. Damon calls him chicken and accuses him of giving up already. Stop waiting for the worst thing to happen. He can't control when he dies, but he controls how he lives. Right. Wise words from Damon as Paul is standing... 
outside the undertaker's right with, with a sign for prepaid funerals right over his shoulder right <clears throat> seriously F- foreboding much right or you know constantly reminding us that this guy is dying much <laughs> at home Gemma is scunnered about paul not coming to the wedding and joseph has got chewing gum on his fancy new trousers Gemma lets the bravado slip and reveals how upset she is about Paul not being there and Bernie promises to get to the bottom of it. So after Damon's words, Paul makes it to the court. Luckily the magistrate is stuck in traffic so he's not totally screwed just yet but when he's in the court waiting, Billy walks in and demands to know what Paul's done. <laughs> Says this in the middle of the court. What, what have, you, have do- you done? What have you done? Have you pushed Mike? Have you pushed Mike have you again? Shoved, have you shoved, shoved, you shoved Mike? Mike again? <clears throat> Thankfully, before Billy can put Paul over his knee, the magistrate arrives. Dee Dee whispers, like whispers that she didn't tell Billy, but it's all about to come out whether they like it or not because Dee Dee submitted the medical record mm-hmm. just like Paul agreed to. Oh, pig's tits, says Paul. The magistrate grasses Paul up good and proper, talks about him nicking cars, which makes Billy shake his head in a weird sort of expected disbelief. In a... In a... In a very Ken-like way. And then talks about the MND, which makes Billy's expression drop to the floor. The magistrate gives Paul a suspended sentence and warns him that if she sees him again, she'll boot his balls for him. So Dee Dee leaves Paul and Billy to it in the empty court. Billy explains he went through Paul's stuff and found a letter from the court. <clears throat> There's a very brief discussion about whether the ethical right. ramifications of whether Billy should have done that or not. Which he shouldn't. Paul says that Billy wasn't meant to find out like this. Distraught, Paul thinks that the relationship doesn't have a future because he's dying. And he tries to walk away, but he collapses into Billy's arms and Billy says that he refuses to be pushed away. And I was just, oh my God, this is breaking me. Right. It oh. doesn't start <clears throat> that way, though. Like in the very beginning, it was like, oh my God, Billy is making this all about him again. Because mm-hmm. he's angry at him for not telling him that he's dying. Mm-hmm. It's like... You're, you're kind of missing the plot here, Billy. He's dying. You would be angry about that, though, I think. You're, you're, you're feeling so many emotions there. Right. And just but like, why didn't you tell me? Right. Yeah, but he's like, how <clears throat> dare you not tell me? So it's it's like all about Billy's feelings and not, oh, my God, I am so sorry that this is happening to you. You brought it I, back, though. Yeah. Eventually. It took Paul falling into his arms, though. <laughs> I guess. Paul's in his early 30s. There's like almost 20 years between me and him. And him and Billy. <clears throat> and, well, and I just feel, I don't know, I just feel that Paul is every man. And there's a connection with a character. And the stupid things that he does is, is kind of the stupid things that people do do. Maybe not steal Stealing cars Stealing cars, stuff, really? But, but he's... Pushing he's, Mike. He's kind of shoving, shoving... It's kind of, it's kind of stupid in a relatable way. I think most. I just don't know. I've, there's something about this that is just hitting me very personally, and it's I'm finding it very upsetting watching it. <clears throat> Which is they're doing a great job. Yes. Back home, <clears throat> they get a chance to talk together more calmly. Paul admits that he's known for a while that he had MND that he stole the cars to pay off the debt and it felt good to do that because it felt like he was alive and I kinda, I kinda believe that. That was something that was in his control and now he's dying and it's not going to be a good death. And, ugh. Billy reminds Paul that he loves him 
and they'll never be a burden, but Paul knows that they're going to need a ton of money for all the help that he's going to need in the near future. Billy's in tears when the buzzer goes, and it's Bernie, and she will not be put off, and she's there to do some shouting. Bernie tries to give Paul a guilt trip while Billy pleads with Paul to tell Bernie. Bernie says if he's not at the wedding, she and Gemma will never forgive him, and she tells Billy to talk some sense into him when she leaves. And Paul thinks that he's doing Gemma a favour here. He can't go to the wedding because Gemma knows something's up and she won't let it go. And he can't let the happiest day of her life, well, Chesney, be ruined by her learning that he's dying. And Billy hugs Paul and the two of them look terrified. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yeah, and it's so frustrating because he's talking about, oh, I don't want her years from now looking through her wedding photos and, you know, and thinking about the fact that I was dying. And it's like, yeah, no. Newsflash, she's going to do that anyway. Right. And she's especially going to do that if you're not in the pictures. She'll be thinking about how, you know, one of the potential last happy times for them to all be together as a family and he wasn't there and how she wishes that he were was in these pictures. That's what, that's what she would be thinking about. It's so frustrating because I know I would want to know. I would want to know now so that we could have as many happy family moments. Right. If if my sister was Gemma, I would want her to know. I would want to know. <laughs> yes. I, I understand that. Thank you. Yeah. So it's, 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 there are going to be so many dark days ahead of them all. Right. It seems just silly to have dark days now. Right. When you can have a little bit of sunshine. You might as right. well have that little bit of sunshine. And have the can. support and love of your family as opposed to your family hating you. And then they're going to feel really awful about the fact that they hated you mm-hmm. for your behavior when they find out what that was behavior was because of. I, t- I think you hit the nail on the head, though, earlier with... Gemma is just going to be the best sister for him yeah. during this. And I, I agree. I think I think it's going to take a bit of getting used to for her, but she's going to be there for him and she's going to come through for him. Right. And she would do anything for him. Right. And so would Bernie for that matter. Yeah. You know, I mean, just even just the way during the hen slash stag do, when they're like across the rovers from one another. Yeah, there's that connection. And she's signing to him, asking mm-hmm. if he is okay. You know, this is her night. This is her due. And she's worried about how her brother is feeling. Yeah. You know, she kind of ruins it later. But, you know, in that moment, when it's all about her, she's focusing on him. Everybody knows something wrong with him, though. Right. Every- everybody. Yeah. Even Ed, to a certain extent, knows right. that something's not right. Yeah, and that's that's a thing, too, because Ed's going to be upset that he didn't say, look, man, I am never coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of tried to say, find somebody else to help you out. And you'd think he'd need more than one person on his construction team anyway. You'd think so. But, you know, and then Ed is also going to be mad at Dee Dee for not telling him. So he's kind of throwing Dee Dee under the bus once again because everybody's going to be mad that Dee Dee was the only one who knew for a long time. Dee Dee is untouchable in this. She has done what was asked of her. Right. Yeah, but that's not how people are going to see it. And Too bad. She has a, a 
clean conscience here because her whole, her life, her her career, her work, her income all relies on her being able to keep people's secrets. Yes. If she goes about telling people their mm-hmm. secrets, then who's going to go and ask for her advice right. or ask her to represent them? So right. she's, she has no choice And he to make is it. indeed a client as well and as a to friend. to be fair, she is not even coming close to telling people. No. She is doing what is right. She's saying, right. go speak to them. Right. Let them tell you. Yes. I can't do that. No. And she's she's commendable by how much she's stuck to that. I'm, I'm yeah. very impressed. For somebody who's supposedly ditzy and clumsy. Right. It, it seems like they're not, moving away from that, and I'm so glad. She's certainly not like that when it comes to her work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just shocked <laughs> that Faye didn't tell her that she killed dead Ted. <laughs> Old dead Ted. Right. Yeah. Uh... I hope that Paul and Gemma, and I think they will, I think they will sort this out ahead of the wedding. They'd better. I don't think this is going to be something that is, is going to be left to fester for as long as it, it needs to for the for the wedding. I think that they're going mm-hmm. to make amends here. And maybe Paul's not going to, going to tell her, but this was kind of Dee Dee's point as well, is that you don't need to tell her everything, but you right. need to tell her something about your fruit or whatever. That right. Tell her at yeah. least half of the truth and right. she'll understand. Yeah. Dee Dee's just doing the, the absolute, I, I know I've just finished saying that, but she really has done the best job here. She's just been the best counsel for the people that she's right. representing or the people that she loves. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, think, the, I think the wedding will be... She's far and away a better lawyer than Adam is. She's she's certainly more ethical. She's right. she's more ethical without a doubt. Yeah, I don't know. I think Paul is barking up the wrong tree with this medical treatment. Yeah, uh, and I think everyone is kind of doing their best to tell him about that. I, I I hope that the wedding goes without a hitch. I really do want to see Gemma. I want to see Gemma get married. Yes, and I want her to be happy. It's just a shame that it's Chesney, but she picked him. <laughs> she picked him, and they've got four bra wee bairns together. So yes. there's always that. And then Joseph. Yeah, but that's not the two of them that have him. Right? Yes, they there's, do now. Yeah, there's no Gemma in there. No. Well, do you know? Except like the you know because there are there are certain aspects of our children. That are very Scottish. Stelly started speaking in a Scottish accent every now and again. I don't know if you've noticed that. Well, she's always done like an English or a British accent. Just she's talking. She'll especially when she's asking me a question, there'll be a a weird wee Scottish lilt in there and I asked her, Do you realise that you're doing that? Mm-hmm. And she's like, My mum's from the East Coast, my stepdad's Scottish. I live in the Midwest. Right. My accent doesn't know what it's doing. Right. Yeah. Oh, Which yeah. is kind of like me. I think there's probably something in that. Although there was an article. I can't remember where it was. I'm sure people will look it up now. There was an article saying that this is something that American people of her generation, Gen Z, this is what Gen Z does to help alleviate stress. They speak in a British accent. <laughs> well, it doesn't is- work for me. So. <laughs> 
Anyway, that was the week that was Coronation Street. I think we did a good job just yes. cramming that all in there. Yes. Tell me, Helen, what was your moment of the week? Uh, people are really going to hate me if I say it's the boat thing. So I, I, I'm not going to say it's the boat thing, even though that's the thing that gave me the most joy this week. The boat thing, the getting glued to the table? Yes, it's just the way that it was handled and Todd being the grown-up. Oh, sure. Yes. And I think we already gave it to the boat thing when the boat thing first started. I so. can't remember. Uh, I, I, I think it's got to be Paul falling into Billy's arms, doesn't yeah, it? I think it's got to be. Yeah. I thought Even the though I them, hate Billy. I thought, well, funnily enough, Dan Brocklebank kind of hates Billy as well. From yeah. what I've read about um, about. Billy being incapable of keeping his mouth shut and stuff like that. Right. It's funny when you hear what the actor thinks about their character. Right. Could you you imagine that they're going to be one hundred percent behind their character? Yeah. Not not no. all the time they are. No. But I thought the two of them were were just so. It was good really together. good together. And even back in the flat mm-hmm. when they're having their their heart to heart on the, the sofa when mm-hmm. Billy starts to cry, I was like, oh fucking hell, there I'm going again. Right. Yeah. I would say Billy and Paul and Billy just finally finally knowing finding out. It's such a relief. It's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. And our boring moment of the week. Joseph getting gum on his suit. <laughs> it looked horrible. It did. Or is it Ken asking a ridiculously stupid question to Daisy? I think just Ken biting Daisy's head off for a no good reason, for his own boring purposes. Right, yeah, and being mad about something not being put away in the kitchen. Yeah, that's it. That's our boring moment of the week. Oh, Ken. Uh, well, that is another week and a bit of Coronation Street wrapped up. We'll be doing... I think half an hour less next week. Oh, thank because God. Because it's just half hours every day, which doesn't matter to you because you watch yeah, it all at one time that's anyway. That's correct, I do. Because Britain apparently has got talent. Does <clears> it though? Well, we're about to find out. Does it really? If you've got talent, like if you have a dog that can walk a tightrope, write in to tell us about it and maybe even send us some photographs. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com. We're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of blogger.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. I talk of the street. I talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.